Good morning. The song that uh, the duet was played for uh, that, that Suzanne and, and <laughs> yeah uh when they played that i i remember as uh in christian school in elementary school i remember that was one of the very first songs that we memorized so i you know i know a lot of hymns old hymns i mean and i i know whenever they change them because i know what i how i used to sing them one of them was changed this morning by the way <laughs> just slight changes in there but uh because you know as growing up in a, in a christian home and being in church every time the doors were open you sang a lot of the hymns and uh you probably i i think i memorized them whether i wanted to or not <laughs> uh kind of a thing uh, but that one in particular, I'll Worship the King, was uh, one that I remember specifically that our teacher picked for us to uh, memorize. And, and it was probably challenging as a young person at the time. But now what a blessing over the years to be able to be able to think and sing that song. No matter where I am, don't have to have the words in front of me. They just come to you. Um, and I'm sure you're you're somewhat that way too, no doubt. Even if you were saved later in life, some of these hymns that are favorites of yours come to your mind uh, at different times of the day, and you're able to, uh, to to talk with the Lord even as you sing, as as best we can sometimes without a, a an instrument playing. Uh, but really, uh, a time that we can reflect on God. Hymns are important. And uh, those things are precious to me, I know, and have been over the years. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Second Peter. Second Peter will be in the end of chapter 1 and looking at chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2 this morning. You probably don't remember this, but many months ago when I preached, <laughs> thought I was going to be preaching a little more often, but it turned out that it, it didn't happen that way. But uh, I was decided I was going to do a series through Second Peter. And uh, I don't know if you remember that or not, but anyway, we're still in that series. <laughs> um, but a lot of interruptions and a lot of good preaching in between. Uh, let me start this way. I'll just, I don't usually announce the name, the title of my message uh, at the beginning, but here is the title. And uh, then we'll go from there. Clearly divine facts versus cleverly devised fables. Clearly divine facts versus cleverly devised fables. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, what you consider to be an experience of a lifetime. You know, it's one of those things, you know, those things that happen in our lives and we look back and we say, wow, that was an experience of a lifetime. I mean, maybe, maybe you have them more often than I do. I don't have that many, but uh, uh, but if you... If you just ask any hunter, he could probably tell you many experiences of a lifetime <laughs> that he had in the woods uh, while hunting. Or uh, somebody who has uh, maybe collect stamps and found that one important stamp that they've been after forever. And, uh, and you know, unbeknownst to them, it just showed up maybe when they weren't really looking for it. Um, perhaps a person who collects signatures of famous people. I know I know some people that do that. They they don't have my signature, by the way, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but people do. They they collect famous signatures of people, and uh, and you know it's just that that one time when that person shows up, 
and you're able to get their signature and today maybe even a selfie with them, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, it's exciting. Experiences happen in our lives and they're sort of once in a lifetime things. I guess all of our lives are just full of experiences along the way. And some of them are just the same experiences over and over again, the, the routine, mundane experiences uh, uh, throughout throughout our life. Um, but there are sometimes uh, those experiences that we say, that made my day. Uh, for instance, my, my daughter-in-law and uh, Jackson and Haley, my grandchildren, uh, had been out in, as you, many of you know, out in Kansas City for quite some time because Caitlin's mother has been diagnosed with cancer. And so they wanted to spend some extra time there and she was not doing well at the time. Um, and so they wanted to spend some extra time. So they, they were out there for a, probably about two, two and a half weeks, long time to not see people that you're regularly seeing. And uh, when they came back, Jackson was sitting at the kitchen table. My wife was over at the sink. I wasn't there. I don't know if anybody else was in the room but her, but she tells tells me the story. And she says, and, and Jackson looks over at her and she says, Grandma, I missed you. And that just like breaks your heart right there, right? I mean, I mean, this is not prompted. This is just of his own doing. And then just melts her heart. He says, Grandma, I love you. I mean, that's an, that, that, made, that made her day. That made her whole week, you know? <laughs> um, those kinds of things, when those kinds of things happen, those are experiences that you don't soon forget. And uh, you, she'll probably be talking about that one for, for a long time, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, we're in a passage here in Second Peter, and we're kind of picking up on the end of the message that I, I started with um, last time. And I'll give you, I'll review that in a second. But we're kind of picking up, and here is Peter and James and John. And Peter's now alluding to an incident that happened that was sort of an experience of a lifetime. I mean, can you imagine being with the Lord and being only three of the 12 that the Lord chose to have this experience? Now, that's pretty special. Three of 12, and I mean, just being one of the 12, that would have been special enough, right? But now three of the 12 are chosen to go with him to this mountain and watch as he is transfigured before them. Now, they... To their to their discredit, <laughs> they were kind of tired and they were sleeping, <laughs> so they may have missed more than they could have experienced had they been more alert and awake. Um, but this is often the case, right? And in, in, in many of our lives, that we just aren't prepared for the experiences about to happen, and it comes unexpectedly. Uh, but it's an experience of a lifetime, and uh, Peter alludes to that. So let me just review what we uh, what where we how we got to this point in uh, in first peter in second peter in verse in chapter 1 and that is uh i mentioned uh last the last message that i preached on was was entitled true confidence from our growth process and we picked up on the the three major themes in uh second peter i mentioned three major themes and that was one of them that we are be, to be growing in grace and then the second major theme is that we would be careful of counterfeiters, which we're going to cover that today, and also be ready for his return, which hopefully in the future, perhaps I'll have a chance to cover that. 
But these are the three major themes of Peter. Last time we covered the fact that our confidence is rooted in the person of God, and it's it relies on the power of God, it remains in the promises of God, and it renews as we display the virtues or the perfections of God, we might say, those perfections that we can display, those communicable attributes of God that we can display. So our confidence, when we are able to do that, that gives us confidence. Hey, this is something that I'm growing in. This is the God's grace that's allowing me to be able to display his goodness and his love and his mercy and his kindness as I display that to other people. Very interesting, uh, just thought of this. Um, one of the men that I'm uh, having this Bible study with, the, the man that was here with his wife, Thomas, um, he is a Christian. Now he's trusted the Lord. And the other man that I'm doing a Bible study with has not yet come to that decision. But uh, Thomas said to me uh, here a few weeks back when he was talking about the way that God's word has made a change and a difference in his life. He says, you know, he said, something happened the other day. He said, I can tell you about this. He said, I went to the gas station and to the convenience store. And he said, I was going to go into the convenience store after I got my gas. And he said, there was this man that was walking, and you could clearly see that he had a problem walking. He was, he was either with a cane or he was limping. And he said, and he said, without thinking, I stood and I held the door for him. Now, he says, you might not think that that's that significant, he said, but in times past, he said, I would have been the guy that would have either tried to go in and ignore that the guy was coming behind me or try to avoid that, that, uh, you know, that can, you know, that, uh, that timing of that, of, of going into the store. So he, he would let him go first so he didn't have to, you know, have to, it, it didn't have to help him. Uh, this is how this is how he was. He, this is what he's telling me. Okay, and he says, and he said, and I did that without thinking. And he said, and I don't know where that came from. And he said, because that's not me normally. <laughs> he said, that's not how I think. And I said, yeah. I said, that's 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 God changing you. There's no question. You are going to be more concerned about other people now that you know the Lord. And I said, not only that. And, th and this is probably one of the times I had an opportunity to talk with him about what Pastor Joe actually preached to him about and preached to all of us about. And that is that we ought to be concerned with giving the gospel to other people in our testimony. And it was interesting. He, he mentioned, even after uh, he was here when Pastor Joe preached, was, that wasn't last week, was it? No, it was two weeks ago. And uh, he said to me, he said, yeah, he said, I was wondering if you had been talking to him about what we've been talking about. <laughs> And I said, no, I said, I haven't. I said, but we were in that same passage he was in, weren't we? And because uh, I've been telling him, you know, even as a, a young believer, you have a testimony that you can influence other people with, that you can tell other people about what has happened to you. This is your testimony. And you're the only one that has that testimony. And so you can influence other people that way. And I and and Pastor Joe said directly, if you remember, even if you're a young Christian, <laughs> and I picked right up on it when he said it because I knew it would be it would be hitting uh, Thomas pretty much straight in the face, and uh, and he and he mentioned, yeah, and he said it right directly, didn't he? He said, I haven't been saved long, but I should be telling others about the Lord. So uh, it's interesting how uh, when we have the opportunity to then 
display the vir virtues that God wants to display in our, in, in, our, in our lives that are really perfected in him. Uh, the confidence that that brings to us that there's been a change, that there's growth happening in our lives as we grow in grace, as, as we were covering in, this, in, in our message before. And now we come to this last point, and that is that our confidence, I, I, I put it this way, and we didn't really even, I may have just said it, but we didn't really we didn't really have time to talk about it, but that our confidence, and I said it this way, reckons on the promise, the prophecies of God. And what I mean by reckon, uh, reckons on is that it regards as valuable the promises or the prophecies of God. And that is the word of God as a whole, okay? I was trying to keep my T's and R's and everything together for my outline. But this is speaking of God's word in particular. And, and it was a blessing to my heart just this morning that I came in and, you know, we've been reading the book of Psalms every every time one of the men gets up here and reads from the book of Psalms. And we jumped. We jumped from the, the song of ascents. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were in 133 or something, I think, last week. And and uh, and we could have gone on to, to 150, but for some reason... We all of a sudden went to Psalm 119. And guess what we're talking about this morning, folks? We're talking about God's word this morning, and that was a blessing to my heart because God orchestrated that, no doubt, to get our attention on the fact. Remember, Psalm 119 is all about God's word. You familiar with this? There's only a couple of verses in that whole psalm of, is it 150 verses? 176. Okay, thank you. So in only a couple of those verses don't contain a synonym about God's word. There's testimonies, there's judgment, there's there's truth, there's um, statutes, and we can go on. All these uh, words that describe God's word. And, and you remember how the psalmist wrote that. We believe it was probably David, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that the psalmist wrote it in such a way that he worked through the Hebrew alphabet. So that the first section, and uh, which with which which Dad read this morning, is the first letter of the Hebrew word Hebrew alphabet, and that every line started with that Hebrew word. So that takes a lot of thinking, a lot of thinking process, right, to actually compose a a a poem that would comprise all about God's word, every line starting with the letter A, the Hebrew alphabet. Um, then he moves on to the letter B, as it were, in the Hebrew alphabet. And they don't have all the exact same number of letters that we have, a few less. Um, but that takes a lot of composing, but it focuses somebody's attention upon God's word. And that's that's the point. And no doubt it would probably made e it made it easier for people to memorize uh, because it was written in, in that kind of a way. So that's our focus here this morning as we uh, are coming to this true confidence uh, from our growth process in that our confidence sees as valuable the prophecies of God or the word of God as a whole. And these are, as my title said, these are the clearly divine facts. <laughs> God's word gives to us the clearly defined facts. Let's read now in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. And we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pick up later to read a little bit more in chapter 2 to cover uh, the next section. 
um, later on in the, in the message. Verse 16 of Second Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we, were, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting how he, he throws that in there, no doubt setting up for what he's going to say in, chap, in chapter 2. And it's not really, you know, he didn't write in chapters, right? We understand that, right? This is a letter. I don't know if you, when you write your letters, do you put verse 1, verse 2? No. No, you just write a letter. Well, He's setting up for something that he is very soon going to say to these to these believers that are scattered now about those that did have cleverly devised myths or fables, right? So he's setting that up right here at the beginning. He said, we did not fall. Some did, but we didn't. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, but we, and he's referring to himself, and John and James, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that bore to him by the majestic glory, now translate your, if some of you are, I know are reading the King James, it's translated a little bit differently, so you may be thrown off by some of that. Because uh, it, 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 I looked at both of them because I, I recognize that that might throw people off. But the majestic glory from the excellent, what does it say? Excellent glory, okay? So that uh, is probably speaking as about God, all right? It's probably speaking him, it's speaking about him that way, calling him the majestic glory or the excellent glory, all right? So it was born to him by the, the majestic glory. And this is what that voice said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we know, if we stop there, and if anybody can remember back when this incident actually happened, Peter leaves out a few words, doesn't he? What did he say at the very end? What did that verse, what did that voice say at the very end? Hear ye him. He has a command there to those disciples to hear the Lord. Peter doesn't quote that, but it's interesting how he says it. Look what he says. For we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. We heard this very voice, this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Or really, the idea is there comes from their own determination. For a prophecy was, uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Critical verse here, critical verse when it comes to our understanding of God's word. 
absolute critical. These are verses that you memorize in, in theology for the defense of the scriptures being from God. These are critical verses. So Peter is saying, we didn't follow any cleverly devised myths. We didn't make this up, folks. We did not come up with our, we didn't get our heads together and say, now how can we present this that'll make it believable? No, these experienced happen. And Peter was now, he is now just relating the experience that went, that, that came to him what happened to him? He heard a voice, this very voice out of heaven from this majestic glory from God the Father himself. He hears a voice and then he compares that to the very words that he is writing. Not only his words that he is writing, but he understands the words that the prophets wrote from, from the past, that those very words were the very words of God and they're more confirmed. Peter, James, and John, they heard God's voice from heaven. What would that have been like, folks? Uh, an incredible experience to hear a voice from heaven. Paul heard a voice from heaven. The men around him thought there was thunder. There's other times that actually in John, John, it's interesting. I'll, I'll bring this up right now because it fits. John, when he is writing his gospel, you realize that all the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record the trans uh, the transfiguration of Christ. John does not. And John saw it. What is John doing? You we, we say to our mind, why, John? Didn't you like embellish on what happened up there when you were on that? Guess what? I think he was really and, and commentators say say the same thing. His whole gospel is trying to explain the fact that Jesus is, glor is glorified. His whole gospel is that. And so at the beginning of his gospel, remember, though he doesn't specifically talk about it when it happened, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and uh, John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, excuse me, they all give, give it to us exactly when it happened. Matter of fact, the, this, the same exact uh, scenarios were going on around that same time just prior to that, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus commands the disciples not to tell anyone. Uh, Jesus predicts his coming, suffering, and death, and resurrection from the dead. All the Gospels are recording the same thing, these same things. Jesus calls the disciples to follow him sacrificially, and then the transfiguration happens. Then Jesus commands then the disciples to be to be quiet about it, not until after his resurrection. And you remember when he commanded them on that mountain, don't tell anybody about this till after the Son of Man resurrects, or till he is uh, comes. I can't remember exactly the wording that he uses, but uh, you remember the disciples thought about it and questioned in their heart what 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 did he mean by that? So there was a, there was not even a full understanding. Remember, there were several times the Lord said, "I'm going to resurrect," <laughs> and the disciples just it was went right over their head. Because you remember what happened when he died? They weren't waiting, waiting for him to resurrect. They were scared. They were huddled together. What's going to happen to us? Are we next? Uh, they missed. They missed the whole thing that what Jesus was saying. They missed. Uh, they missed the truth that he was trying to 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 uh, to give to them. But as as Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record these same events, we know this exactly happened. 
there's actually a discussion then of Elijah coming and then and then the miraculous healing of the demonized boy and then the second prediction and passion of Christ. And those are the same in every one of the synoptic gospels, but John, he just, just doesn't cover it. But he does at the very beginning, turn over with me to, you may know this already, but turn to me, turn with me to, to John chapter one. And remember John from the very beginning is presenting Jesus as the son of God. And not just that he is, as some would refer to it, the son of God, but not God the son, all right? He actually says the word, in the beginning, the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, and, and they do say, and it's true, that the, 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 uh, the definite pronoun, the, is not there in that passage. He wasn't the God. He was a God. This is this is how they're saying that you can translate this because the definite pronoun is not is not there. Then you can say he he wasn't the God. He was a God. So he's a lesser God than the God. And that sounds all well and good, but that's not what John was getting after. John was getting after the fact that he was divine, that he was deity. That's why he's not using the definite article. He's saying that he was divine, that he was literally God himself. That's the point that he's saying. Um, but just a little bit further down, when you get down to verse 14, notice how succinctly John puts this underneath the inspiration of the Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God breathing these words through John. Here's what he wants him to say. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what's that? That's the incarnation. John does not record anything about the birth of Christ. He puts it succinctly in that one little statement. And not only that, he kind of hits, he hints to the virgin birth, doesn't he? Because he says, the word was, became flesh or was made flesh. I think King James says, right? The word became flesh. The word was made flesh. Folks, you don't think you don't talk about a child being born. Yeah, my son was made flesh. You don't talk about a, 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 a normal human baby that way, right? No, this was this was a, an eternal existing God who took flesh. He became flesh. Uh, so he kind of hints at the virgin birth here, and then uh, it says that he dwelt among us. And that word is specific. That's an interesting word there. That means that he actually put his tent up next to our tent. That's what the Apostle John is saying. He tabernacled. So now he's hinting toward the Old Testament and the, and the tents and the tabernacles and, and the tabernacle where the Shekinah glory of God would dwell, showing the presence of God. And it says, what does he say? And we have seen his glory. I mean, he's pointing to the glory of God. And that was as of the only son, the only begotten of the father, the beloved one. The one and only one is the idea. You know, that in, 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 the, in our famous verse that we quote a lot, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Folks, that doesn't mean that he was the only one that God 
because he was the only son that God actually begot. That's not like I begat my sons. That's not the idea. That he was the unique son of God. That's what only begotten means. He was the he was the prototokos. He was the firstborn. And that doesn't mean he was the first one born in reference to time. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you. But that means that he was, he had the supremacy. And that's really, as Colossians brings out that, that he was the firstborn. That's really the emphasis that Paul is giving to the Colossians, that he had the supremacy, that he is above all things. Not that he was the first created being, like the Jehovah's Witnesses would have us believe, but that of all beings, he is the top. He's number one. Not created. He's unique. He's the only begotten son. He is the one and only. And that's what John is saying here. John is saying that Jesus was distinct from anyone else. He became flesh. So he, in this, in these few words here, he encapsulizes the birth of Christ, God, and, and now God dwelling with them, God living with them in, in, in his whole life, really, along with the apostles, he dwelt with them. And then he, he encapsulizes now the transfiguration. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father. And remember, that's what the voice said. This is my one and only son. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And, and so uh, the apostle John does make reference to it. We don't know whether James did. We don't have any books from James, not this James of the, the apostles. And we know James was one of the early apostles that went to, to home to be with the Lord quickly. Because he was he was uh, killed, uh, one of the uh, the earliest of the apostles to be killed. Of course, Stephen was the earliest martyr. We would say in the Book of Acts, but James shortly was beheaded after um, uh, after uh, after Stephen, sometime after Stephen. Uh, but he was the first of the apostles, so James didn't have a chance, perhaps even to the to write or exclaim. But you better believe he. He talked about it to people. You know, we were on this mountain and, and we saw we saw something that was humanly impossible. And Mark brings that out in his writing. Remember, Mark says, we saw, we saw the Lord's, his clothes were so bright. It was brighter than, than anything a person could do with bleach. <laughs> All right, back then it was, they were called the fuller, right? They were the person that would, that would, clean clothes and make them white and make them perfectly white as white as they could as, as they could be and 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 john and uh and, and mark says this was brighter than anybody on this earth could make them and then his face his face shone and no doubt they had they were thinking about the time that moses met god on that mountain and just saw the backside as it were as as, as it's described for us of god and remember, for days and weeks, perhaps, after that, Moses' face glowed, right? So here is Jesus being transfigured before them, and an incredible experience. 
an experience unlike any other experience they've ever had. But yet they're not going to tell about it. Don't talk about that yet. Wait till after I resurrect. The Son of Man resurrects, and then you can talk about it. Um, and I, I'm sure they 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 probably listen to him on that. I mean, we don't have any record of them actually saying anything to even to the other disciples until perhaps after he resurrects. Matter of fact, I can just I can just imagine that hitting one of them when they're in the room, right after Jesus resurrects, and perhaps after they actually go to the tomb and come back and they're all together and they're like, hey, remember that? Remember when we, you guys don't even know about this, but Jesus took us up into the mountain and we saw him, we saw him transfigured. I mean, we saw him look like the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, this bright light. I mean, and now we're telling you about it, but I mean, and, and no doubt about that same time, Jesus shows right up <laughs> to all of them. So uh, you you can just you can imagine what went on. I mean, we don't know everything that went on and transpired, but certainly they talked about this experience of a lifetime uh, that they had. All right. So Peter can uh, uh, Peter now is confirming that that experience was incredible, and though though it was incredible, he compares that as it were to the experience of writing God's word himself, and having God's word in his hand uh, from other men. And he said that there's a, King James says, more sure word of prophecy. And so again, he, he is comparing Peter here. For we ourselves heard this, okay, and we have a, a prophetic word more fully confirmed a more sure word of prophecy to which you do well to pay attention. And now he uses an, an, an analogy, an illustration to talk about that word that we have. And it's a light shining in a dark place. It's a light shining in a dark place. So when we are, and no doubt, I mean, he's there, he's specifically talking about God's word as a whole, but we're gonna we're gonna come to it probably pretty soon here. Uh, individually, God's words also is is light. It might not be the full light, but it's the light that we need at the time when we're in that dark place. And uh, I still I can still hear Thomas over and over again talk about the fact that as he reads God's word, he said, "It's just what I needed for today. It's just what I needed." And I'm like, "That's the way it's going to be." That's what God does through his word. It's what we need. It speaks directly to us. It's the light that we have. It's not the full light. Remember, that's what he's talking about here afterward. Uh, he said, there's a light shining in a dark place. So we have God's word now. And as it were, even Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. But one day, face to face, there's not going to be anything between me and God. We're going to see him and we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as we as he is. So we'll have a body like unto his, like unto the Lord's. And that's what it's talking about here. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, the morning star, typically, we know this, they, they, they called uh, the, the planet Venus the morning star also. Um, the Greeks had that. They called it the morning star and they called it the evening star. Because it's the first star 
star that you can see, because they thought, and we we call it, we still call it that. It's the first light in the sky that you can see because it's the brightest. So as it's getting dark, you can actually see that if it's there, if it's visible, if it's if it's you know if, depending on where you are on the earth and where it is, what time of the year it is, uh, it, it, you either see it on this side or you see it at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day. And uh, and I and I still remember being with my brother-in-law, and I can't tell you where, but uh, <laughs> we're through the night looking for. Something that's glowing and flying. Okay, so you know, don't, don't be distracted by that. But you know, my brother-in-law, he's looking for that, that that dinosaur, right? That that pterosaur, and uh, and I and I still remember over and over again. You know, just before daylight, here comes Venus. Then the, then the sun comes. Here comes the morning star, and it's the brightest star in that in that. And where we were, we could see a lot of stars. Believe me. But that one just kind of shines out. And uh, Jesus is called that. In, in the book of Revelation, he's called the morning star. But there's going to be a time, folks, that the sun is, the day is going to dawn. And we're looking for that day. And guess what? At the end of this book, at the end of this book, he talks about that. Right? So you can see how Peter just kind of throws little things in here for the next section that he's going to talk about. Right? There's going to be a time when Jesus is going to return. And what a glorious day that's going to be. So the morning star is going to rise in our hearts. And then he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Folks, men that wrote this book didn't say, what am I going to write today? No, they just depended on God to give them the words that they were going to write. Now, they weren't robots. They weren't mechanical in that sense. And Luke wrote, because he was a doctor, he used medical terms. So they, he didn't, he used their personalities, but he wrote the very words that he wanted to be written in our, in our Bibles. And we can hold up God's word today and we can say, this is God's word. This is what he has given to us. This isn't some concoction of a bunch of men that got together over a period of time and put this put this thing together. And, and really, folks, I talk to people over and over again, and that's the way they see the Bible. They see it as important words, but they oftentimes don't see it as God's words. Oh, it it might it may be a little bit about what God said, but but probably somebody had some things to say on their own. Right, and they would try to point to contradictions between them, but there are no contradictions, folks. And if there are seeming contradictions, they all explainable of how that it cannot be. A, it isn't a contradiction, folks. That's the way it has to be, right? It's one author. He doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't say one thing and then and then say another. He says the same thing. And he did it through 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years. That's one message. And that is God's word. So prophecy was never produced by the will of man, verse 21. But men, King James says holy men. And if that's there, certainly they were holy because of the Holy Spirit. Right? They were men set aside by God. They were holy in that sense. These men, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
it is as if the picture is this, that there's a sail and the wind comes and blows on the sail. The sail is passive until the wind blows on it. They're carried along like a sailboat is carried along by the wind. And that's the picture here. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were directed. Their direction was because God was blowing on them, as it were, by his spirit. The word spirit, the word wind, actually, is the same word in the Greek. Pneumatos this is the word we get pneumatic tools from, right? It's that, that, that's, the, that's the root of it. So it's tools run by wind, and that's the word spirit. So sometimes the word, and you can see within the context, although there are a few times that we're not sure whether we should translate it as wind or spirit, but it's the same word in, in the Greek. So the Holy Spirit was behind these things as God's word was being written by these men. So the Spirit didn't inspire the men. The words are breathed out from God. That's the idea. Words are, are breathed out from God. The words are inspired. They're breathed out from God. Now, was it a special event? So in the loose sense of the word inspired, we would say that the men were inspired. I, I suppose Shakespeare, was he inspired? Well, you know, you know, I mean, not like these men were, <laughs> all right? But it was really, it's really, the inspiration is really in reference to the words that are written, not necessarily to the men. But again, the Holy Spirit carried them along. So if you want to call that inspiration, he inspired them. You can use that word loosely, but the word inspiration in scripture that Paul uses speaking about God's word means that God breathed out the words. He didn't breathe the men, he breathed the words. Um, so that these words are inspired. So that is the clearly divine facts that we have. And Peter points to that. It's more clear than that in incredible experience he had when he heard a voice from heaven. And folks, any experience that we have, it ought to be fact-checked against this against this book. And I and I, I say this to people, and some people, they, they, you know, when I talk to people, they sometimes give me even even Thomas gave me a, a, a situation that happened in his life, and I always take him to the fact check, right? Let's let's filter that through what God has said. Not I'm not saying it didn't happen. But I'm saying, let's not trust that experience. Let's trust this book. Because experiences can fool us. Folks, there are people that have, and you listen to them, near-death experiences, and they saw that light at the end of the tunnel. And guess what? Satan is now using that to keep them from coming to the truth because they think they already have it. I saw that light. See, if I had gone through that tunnel, that light would have been mine. That was heaven. I know it but you've never trusted Jesus as your savior. That's probably not heaven. <laughs> and your mind can play tricks on you. Satan can play tricks on you. Remember, Satan was an angel of light. Maybe that was Satan at the end of that at the end of that tunnel. We don't you don't know. So don't trust that experience, that near death experience. Don't trust it. Filter it through God's word every time experiences because this word is more fully confirmed it's from god breathed out from him by authors 
who are born along, carried along by the Holy Spirit in order to pen these things down for us. In contrast to that, and we'll just cover this in the next few minutes, the false prophets. The false prophets arose. Let's read some of this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He's warning them, warning them. They will bring in in destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them. That's kind of an interesting, we don't have time to actually deal with that. Um, but that almost sounds like they lost their salvation, doesn't it? But it's not the case, all right? So uh, we can deal with that at a different time. He He's a master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and, and many will follow their sensuality or King James says pernicious ways. It's one word has to do with sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Notice, as I'm reading through this, notice their character being displayed here and their conduct, but also see their condemnation that's, hap that's happening. And there are motivations behind their conduct. And this is one of them. They their greed that they have. They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, for their destruction is not asleep. And you might think God is not dealing with these people. And then Peter says, now Peter goes into the if-then statements, and he has two or three ifs, and then he has the then. Okay, so watch this. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed to them to change of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And second, if, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of, un, of the ungodly, a third, if, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and a fourth if. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And here's the then. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority and he goes on to describe their character bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones whereas angels though greater in might and power they do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the lord but these like irrational animals Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They curse children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, 
who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasting of folly, they are enticed by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, they promise freedom. And don't we hear this all the time, folks? They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And we'll stop there. We're almost at the end of it. But, <laughs> I mean, you get the idea? Their, their character is such. As a matter of fact, their character is such that the character has never changed. The nature has never changed. That's why at the very end, he actually gives a proverb. And says, you know, the dog, his nature, and this is kind of maybe not good but right before lunch, but if a dog throws up, you give him time, he'll go back and he'll eat it. That's just his nature. A pig, you clean him up. We saw a bunch of pigs at the fair. Has anybody been to the fair? All right, so some of them things are really big, and they're cleaned up at the fair. But you give them the opportunity, <laughs> and they're going to go right back to the mire. <laughs> Because that's their nature. That's what they do. Their nature has never changed. And these false teachers, the nature had never changed. The outward changed. They appeared to be teachers of God's word. They appeared to be telling you the truth. And they may have been telling you some of the truth. But they certainly weren't telling you all the truth. Because they're false teachers. And their character had never changed. Their nature had never been, uh, been made anew. And folks, they're around. They're everywhere. I mean, today we have the internet and you just go on the internet. And I mean, there's a plethora of people who are saying stupid things <laughs> that don't match up with what God's word says. And they claim to be believers. They claim to know God. They claim to be talking from God, right? There are pastors that are out there. There are mega church pastors that are out there and they claim to be speaking God's word. And all they're doing is padding their pockets. You look at their lifestyle. You see, it's not their words. It's it's what they're it's how they're living. That's why they denied the master. They've denied Jesus as Lord over their life. They are their own Lord. They are the one. It's all about them. It's about consuming upon their own sensual lust. And I mean, you just see it, 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 and it's magnified in some people, and it's not so evident in others. But, uh, folks, we have to be we have to be careful. And uh, if you have an opportunity to to lead somebody to Christ, you make sure that you warn them about this. This is what this this came up early uh, with uh, with this man that I'm that I'm doing this Bible study with Thomas. He was reading and and looking at online about all these things. And and he came to this on his own. This was the Lord. And, you know, he came to me one day and he said, you know what? I quit doing that. He said, he said, I just want the word. I just want the word. I don't want what somebody says about it. I just want to read what the word says. I was shocked. I was like, wow. I was going to have to deal. I was going to talk with him about this because I didn't want him to get swayed by one particular person in the wrong direction. Now, I've tried to point him to other men that are, Incredible to listen to messages from these men, you know, and 
and this opportunity to, to hear this particular part of God's word expounded, but this is God's word that he's expounding. It's not his own, his own opinions. And, uh, and he recognized that early on. And I praise the Lord for that because there are so many out there that will are carrying these people. And I believe some of them are truly saved, but they're following the wrong. They're following a false teacher. And Peter's warning that we don't do that, that we don't follow someone who has this as their character, their conduct. And ultimately, God knows. If God didn't spare the angels, and if God didn't spare the world before Noah, think about the millions of people that were living before Noah. I mean, these people weren't dying, right? They were living long lives. So the, well, the earth was, was very populated when, when the flood came. We don't know exactly how many people were on the earth, but it was quite populated because they had long lives and they had lots of kids <laughs> and uh, and they all were doing right. Um, but God destroyed that world because and he only saved eight people of all those millions that were living at that time. And he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet he saved Lot his two daughters and his wife. And then his wife, obviously, uh, they say you can take, how is that? You can take the, the world out of some people. No, I know. Don't take the Christian out of the world. But the world was still, the world was still in, in Lot's wife. <laughs> she looked back and pillar of salt right away. I mean, it's God's judgment. God's judgment. That's how serious it is. And even his own daughters, right? I mean, his own daughters, and and the sin that was committed after after that. Um, yet God God spared them in His grace, and called and called Lot, though he was not living righteously at the time. He called him righteous Lot, righteous not because of what he was doing, obviously, but because he was trusting in God still, and uh, and he spared him. Um, but God's judgment is going to come upon these false prophets, these false teachers. So these are the ones that are devising fables cleverly, and they continue to do so. And uh, But folks, we need to, in contrast to that, we need to recognize the importance of God's word, of, of reading it, of living by it, and of presenting it to others, because this is the truth, and we have it. We don't have a devised fable, and we need to be careful that we look out for those that are posing a devised fable, and that we warn others about them. Um, and this is how Peter is encouraging these believers. This is how God is trying to encourage us today. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is, it is a sure word. It is confirmed more fully than even the experiences that we would call a lifetime experience. Lord, your word is, is given to us from these men directly from your mind. And we thank you for that. For that. We ask, Lord, that you would keep us um, studying it. Rebuke us when we, when we let it fall to the ground, when we don't hold it up as important 
or this is from you, or how would we feel if we had a letter from the president? We would put that in a special place. We read it often, but Lord, we have a, we have a letter from you. Help us, Lord, to see the importance of that letter and that book, your words, and help us, Lord, to live by them, commit them to memory, to proclaim them carefully uh, to others around us. We ask that you would give us a good afternoon now and help us to think about these things. And Lord, maybe always be on the alert for the false teachers that might rise up and claim to know you, but Lord, uh, their, their actions show that they do not. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.